Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing podcast. Flying to Amsterdam is quite cheap. You can fly from Amsterdam to yeah, almost every country in Europe. When I go to the United States, I never pay more than uh, $500 for a return ticket. Also, it's, it's quite safe to uh, rent a car in the Netherlands. In eight hours, you are in Denmark. In, uh, in 12 hours, you are in the north of Italy. Uh, you can go uh, actually wherever you want. That was Bus Van Dam with a nice travel tip when flying to Europe. Sea Run Brown Trout, Denmark, Italy, and Van Life today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the show. The School of Fishing, we do not have a trip to Europe set up right now, but we have a bunch of other trips you can check out right now. Schooloffishing.co, schooloffishing.co. Today's episode is sponsored by Dalton at uh, Country Financial, who thrives on helping families and community members through the power of education and proper insurance coverage. The unexpected will happen, so it's always best to make sure your assets in life are protected. You can check out Dalton right now at wetflyswing.com country and make sure you are protected today by Drifthook, who has pre-packed fly assortments for every stage of your fly fishing journey. Check out their fan favorite nymph boxes that are hand tied and inspected before being carefully packed into these durable, water-resistant boxes. Each kit is organized by species and includes instructional videos and easy-to-follow guides. Visit wetflyswing.com drifthook right now and use coupon code SWING at checkout to get 15% off your next order. Vus van Dam is here to take us around fly fishing Europe and how he has done this uh, living out of his van in a place that uh, we dig into that today. There's some differences, different parts of the country that allow this. This is pretty interesting. We get a bunch of great, huge tips like uh, how to find cheap houses that you can stay at that are under the radar, what the Dolomites is like, and some of the other great resources you should be checking out when planning your trip, your next trip to Europe. Bus is living the dream right now, so excited to uh, dig into this and find out how he does it. Here we go, Bus Van Dam at the Fly Tying Guy on Instagram. How's it going? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Good, good. I'm doing good. I'm always, uh, like you said, in the just before we got started, the names sometimes are a little cha- or your name is a little challenging because I feel like um, maybe you could pronounce it for us to make sure we get that right. Yeah, it's Bus, and it's actually the shortest you can name make from uh, Sebastian. That's my full name. That's right. And your um, Instagram, you're at uh, the fly tying guy, right? I love fly fishing. I love fly tying. Uh, I tie for almost 40 years. And yeah, I just started also a little bit uh, commercially tying flies and selling flies online. And I've uh, yeah, tried to do a little bit on Instagram. Good. Well, I wanted to throw that out there at the start because I think this is going to be a, a great episode covering Basically, Europe. You've been traveling around Europe in a van, and you're basically living out of the van doing that whole thing and hitting some spots that are probably a little less known. And uh, we actually have you know people all around the world listening, not as many over in Europe, but I think this episode will be great for people, You know, maybe for the person coming over the overseas that wants to fish, maybe doesn't have, you know, doesn't want to do the lodge thing, but wants to travel, do some van life. So We're going to dig into that. Before we get there, take us back really quickly to how you first got into fly fishing. Then we'll take it into your your van life and all the rivers you fished over there. Yeah, I started fishing when I was 
four or five years old with my father, a little bit of spin fishing, things like that. And when I was eight years old, my mother bought me a fly fishing set, a secondhand set, and my neighbor was a fly fisherman. So I started fly fishing when I was eight. Started traveling when I was 14, 15 years old. First time to the south of Germany and then to the chalk streams in the south of England and Denmark. Um, so I started yeah, quite early, young age. Mm-hmm. Where did you grow up? Uh, in the Netherlands, uh, basically everywhere in the Netherlands. I moved a lot. And the last 20 years in uh, the south of the Netherlands, near Belgium and Germany. Okay. And what were your parents doing? Why were you moving a lot when you were growing up? My father is a doctor and he worked in a lot of places. Gotcha. Yeah. So just, and I'm terrible with my European uh, geography, but just kind of looking here. So Netherlands, yeah, I mean, you're right in basically just kind of adjacent to Germany and, uh, and then Denmark's up to the north of you. You got Norway, Sweden above that. And then, and then you do have, yeah, I mean the Ireland, well, you got the United Kingdom and then you've got everything going there. What is that like? I mean, you've got driving around, you know, you've got all the stuff connected, but what is it like getting out to more of the remote stuff? Like you said, going to the chalk streams, is that a pretty easy thing to make a trip over there? And like, if you're going to hit Germany and then go over to England, stuff like that and fish is pretty doable. Yeah. Um, the uh, main airport, uh, London Heathrow is really close to some of the famous chalk streams where all the fly fishing started. So the test and the itching and the Avon. And because the fly fishing started there, I also wanted to start my fly fishing traveling in the south of England. A lot of fly shops there. You can find places to fish very easily. It's all day ticket water. It's quite expensive, but uh, nice fishing, clear water, big, most stocked trout, brown and rainbow. Good hatches, dry fly fishing. That's really traditional upstream dry fly fishing and a lot of history. Yeah, no, that's great. That's one of those spots, definitely getting to that part of the world and those traditional um, streams, right? You hear all about them. What's the, you know, at 14, 15, so you, you started traveling. That was just basically traveling with your, your dad as he moved around or were you kind of traveling doing the, you know, hitting different places? Yeah, most with my parents, but also I was a member of a fly fishing club and Hans van Klinke, the guy from the Klinkhammer special, Klinkhammer style flies, he invited some people from the fly fishing club to join him to uh, coastal fly fishing in Denmark. That was pretty new when I was 16 years old, never heard about it. And um, actually I fell in love with that kind of fishing. And uh, I went to Denmark uh, more than 50 times the past 30 years. So, hmm. Wow. So Denmark, and that's one I wanted to dig into because I did want to touch on, there's a bunch of species we could talk about, but the brown trout, especially like sea run brown trout is something that, you know, would be cool to talk a little more about. So we're going to touch on that for sure. And the clean camera, that's interesting. Let's just go into, before you jump into that, because you're sitting there, you're in a van right now doing the van life. Let's hear just briefly on that. How did that start for you? Is that something that you have been doing a while? Yeah, I love traveling. I love uh, holidays, but um, I started, uh, we bought a van uh, last year, started uh, van life this summer. 
climbing and fishing uh, all over Europe. So yeah, I'm, I'm in Greece now in a small town called Leonidio. There's no fly fishing here, but there's a lot of climbing. So winter is more climbing and the summers will be more fly fishing. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. So climbing. So those are your two passions, climbing and fly fishing. And, and now the van life, what's that been? You know, you've gone on it. You started this summer. What's been the most challenging thing about it? Uh, sometimes the weather. Uh, we have a small van. It's a Ford Transit. And live in a small van with uh, my girlfriend. Um, with bad weather can be challenging. Oh, right. Just cold. Yeah, cold, wet uh, weather. And uh yeah, finding out where to get water uh, and all things like that. That's also because uh, everything is pretty new. Yeah. Is it set up pretty good? I mean, we have a like a camper. It's not the same deal. We have one of those pole behinds. And over here, there's quite a few places, you know, RV places to take your thing. I mean, over there, is it set up for traveling pretty much, you know, with the van th- sort of thing? I think it's different from the United States. Uh, For example, we are in Greece and actually it's not allowed to stay in a camper here, uh, except from campsites and things like that, but that's way too expensive. But yeah, here in Leonidio, because it's a climbing area and a lot of climbers live in vans, they allow it in some places and so it's okay. But in a lot of countries in in Europe, it's, you're not allowed to, to camp uh, in the wild or stay somewhere on the parking place and sleep there but it's okay i mean so how do you get around that as you're traveling around what have you what's the tips there uh yeah there's an app um park for night and you can use it and sometimes the police come and say well, you have to move or you have to go or but they're quite friendly and i think you'll get more used to fan lifers and oh there it is yeah Park with the number four night, park for night, sharing cool places, camper. That's awesome. Okay, we're going to get a bunch of resources because I want to set this up for people that, you know, maybe want to do this. Um, So park for night is a good app for sure. So you could figure, and that probably looks like, that's like maybe an international thing too. Looks like maybe, maybe that would work. Yeah, we also, we also use some climbing apps because all the climbing areas have uh, parking places and they're used to fan livers. So that's also an easy place to first thing so we might have to become uh if we're heading over there we might have to become uh maybe some climbers too we'll bring our get into climbing and then that'll help us do the climbing just like you climbing and fishing what's the uh, remind us again on the name of your your camper that you're driving it's a four transit yeah four transit okay 17 years old and it was a, a wheelchair fan before wheelchair bus and we converted it ourselves yeah so it's kind of like um we call them over here like the well i guess we call them the euro vans but it's yeah it's basically a looks like one of those mercedes type of thing high um ceilings yeah we have a a pop-up roof so it's it's not uh i can't stand in it without popping up the roof with the pop-up yeah but it's okay i mean i think for your standards it's quite small most of your cars are bigger than our van but it's yeah that's it. Okay, good. So we got a little taste of that. So let's let's dig into a little bit on the fishing. So if you came in, let's just start with Denmark because you've been there, whatever, you know, 50 times, a ton of times. If somebody was coming over, you know, and flying in, 
let's just start there really quick because we want to get into some of this brown trout fishing. Where are they flying in? If they, Well, let's just think they're flying in. They want to do Denmark, but they also want to maybe think of driving around a little bit around Europe. What's your recommendation? Where should they head into? It's uh, five, 600 miles from Amsterdam. So for you, it's pretty okay, I think. Uh, and it's quite uh, easy to fly to Amsterdam and quite cheap. But you can also go to Copenhagen in Denmark. Uh, and that's only an hour drive from uh, the island uh, Fien. And that's actually the you know, one of the best places to go fishing. And also there's a, a good fly shop and a good guidebook with 117 places where to find the seaborn uh, brown trout or sea trout, as we call them. Yeah, and it's coastal fishing, shallow coasts. Sometimes you can wait. Uh, hundreds of meters from the coast sometimes you have some deeper water uh, just at your feet and um, there's eight nine hundred miles of uh, coastline where you can find those fish and it's kind of a puzzle to find them because they are not everywhere you have to search for them and find the spots where the food is for the trout and if you find those places you can catch them and these are sea run. These are sea run browns. Yeah, actually, in the eighties, the government in Denmark started a project uh, by cleaning the rivers and stocking uh, actually the ocean with sea run browns. And it's an amazing fishery now. You catch more and more sea trout every year, and they get bigger. And it's a twenty inch sea trout is not. A real big one. The big ones are, are 30 or, or even 40 inch. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking big. That's the cool thing because, yeah, there's few places to catch the sea trout around the world, right? And I'm not sure if I've heard many people talk about Denmark, but I guess, you know, any place on the coast, right? You probably have some opportunity around there. But Denmark, why is Denmark a, it, well, it's a hotspot probably because they're, they've been planting fish there in that area for a while. Yeah, and um, they cleaned all the rivers, uh, so it's basically a, a wild fishery now. They don't stock that much anymore, uh, but they started uh, 40, 50 years ago, 40 years ago with stocking. The freedom you have there uh, to fish, I mean, you, you pay a few dollars for a year to fish everywhere you want on the coast. And searching there, the, the island fun is uh, yeah from east to west a one hour drive and from south to north also one hour drive so you can search for fish uh, in bays um, go to deeper water uh, a little bit to the south some to the north uh, there are other small islands where you can go to and you see a lot of birds you can fish hours and hours without uh, seeing other people or and you actually stay on the beach oh wow so you're fishing off the beach yeah uh, the the bays are shallow um, uh, with sandy, dark bottom, uh, and you can wait a lot there. And the farther you go to the deeper water, the more stones there are with water plants <coughs> and everything. Gotcha. So you're fishing the, I mean, these fish, sea trout, I mean, their life history is kind of like a, you know, a anadromous fish, right? They're They're heading out to the ocean or, you know, to the ocean, the bays, the estuary, wherever to eat. And then they're migrating back into the freshwater. Is that what they're doing? Yeah, exactly like a salmon. But the salmon is going 
far uh, into the ocean and yeah the uh, sea trout they stay near um, uh, the rivers where they came from and they go back in in autumn to uh, to the rivers to spawn yeah that's right so there's a good question on timing i'm glad you mentioned that so you know, and I'm going to paint this, you know, podcast as a, you know, we're kind of the travel with the fly fishing because we got two big things going. But so if we're coming in and you mentioned Amsterdam would be a place you could fly into and then drive 600 miles or you can go into Copenhagen and, and go directly there. But what would be the timing? Like if you wanted to, you know, if, if one of your focuses was the sea run Browns in Denmark, but then you also wanted to cruise around and maybe have the family do the, do some traveling, right? What would be the best time to hit this for fishing? For the fishing, spring and autumn. Uh, most of the time I go in April. And maybe when you go with your family, May is a little bit better because the days are much longer. So you can fish a little bit in the morning and in the evening and yeah, do some other, other things with the family uh, during the day. Yep. So May they're migrating. Are they kind of doing the... I'm just trying to get the thinking of the fish. So in April or in the other time, they're coming in to spawn. In May, are they... Like, what are the fish doing? Are you still catching them down there in the bays or are you hitting them up higher in the in the rivers? It depends on the water. No, it's all, all fishing uh, on the coast. So the river fishing there is a whole different story. Never done that, but it's also not necessary to find uh, sea trout because actually there there's always sea trout, even in summer or in winter. But in spring and autumn, the fishing is is really good. I mean, sometimes it can be really hard to find them. In the summer. Why is the fishing good? Why is the fishing really good in the spring and autumn versus, say, the summer? The water temperature is much better. Um, so water temperature around 40 degrees Fahrenheit is, is the, the best for the, for the trout. So especially in spring, uh, the shallow water is a little bit too warm. The deep water is a little bit too cold. So there's one spot where all the fish is coming together and you can find them there. And that's the spot you have to, to find. Depends on water temperature, on uh, the shrimps and, and the, the bait fish and the things they eat, uh, where they are yeah, alive and uh, where you can find them. Gotcha. So that's it. So basically it's just the yeah water temperature is better in May. And then if you look May versus the fall, is the fall, can that be really nice too? Is it still pretty good weather then? Yeah. Actually, most of the time it's good weather. Uh, and actually, uh, the same again. The water temperature is going down, and you will find one water temperature spot where you can find a fish. And in autumn, there's also a lot of fish that stays at one place. And uh, you see them in the surface time and time again. And they can be quite challenging to catch. Most of the time, it's bigger fish. But in autumn, you see a lot of, of sea trout in the surface, and that's also nice. Okay, perfect. So that gives us some flexibility. So you got the, and autumn is kind of like September or October? Yeah, even November is okay. Oh, even November. Okay. Yeah. And what was that fly shop? You mentioned a fly shop in the guidebook. Where was that shop? Yeah, it's the shop is Go Fishing. It's in Odense. Okay. Which uh, country or city is that in? That's, yeah, Odense is a city in the middle of Denmark uh, on the island where all the, on Fien, where all the fly fishing is. Oh, okay. And what's the, how do you spell that? Oscar Delta Echo. Uh, November, Sierra, uh, Echo. Okay, Odense, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Perfect. All right, good. So we got a good resource. So somebody could call that shop if they wanted to and 
get some uh, information. Then also there's a guidebook there that would help. Yeah, and Klaus Eriksson is the owner of the shop and he's one of the best fly fishermen in Denmark. Oh, good. And they have an info corner where you can find the places where that are successful at that moment and the flies and everything. They'll tell you everything, no secrets at all. It's really nice. Oh, good. Good, good. So this is awesome. So now we got yeah. a local fly shop and we got a... Yeah, if we're going into Klaus and today, let's see, I guess we're kind of wintertime. Yeah, if you're going in there today to ask him like, hey, what's what would you recommend for fishing? What would he tell us today, you think? It's winter, shallow water, uh, bright flies, fishing them slow under the under the surface. But yeah, find those dark, shallow water places, especially because it's not that salty fish-like, that more the combination cold and salt water is not the best combination for sea trout. So the places where a river is coming into the sea, they hang around there. Today's episode is sponsored by Maverick Fly Fishing. They make the lightest Euro nymph reel in the world, which makes your rod more sensitive, casting more accurate, and you can hold your dead drifts longer without the shoulder burn. This reel is so unique, you may not even recognize it as a fly reel. I had a chance to fish the stinger reel with Jeff on his home river on the Truckee. The biggest thing that I remember is the weight. The weight really stuck out because you can't even barely tell there's a reel. It's essentially kind of like you're holding a rod all day long. I mean, it's that light. And uh, and when you're Euro nymphing, that is a key. And the other big thing I remember from that day was catching uh, a fish on my first cast. Pretty cool to be down in that part of the country and, and have some great success with Jeff. Maverick keeps things simple by offering a Euronymph product line with essentials you'll need from rod, reel, fly line, and leader system. Euronymphing doesn't have to be complicated, so let Maverick Fly Fishing get you started right now. You can learn more by checking out Maverick's YouTube channel for some tips and tutorials. And you can also head over right now to wetflyswing.com maverick to check out the good stuff they have going. That's Maverick, M-A-V-R-K wetflyswing.com slash maverick to support this podcast and take a look at one of the most unique and efficient Euronymphing setups on the market. Okay, back to the show. And then if we're looking again, taking it back into the, the May when the water, you know, May or the fall when the water's a little warmer, right, the better conditions, talk about your, you know, your setting up for that, like your gear, what do you use in there for these fish, like rod and reel and line, stuff like that? I fish a quite stiff six, nine, nine foot, six weight rod with a shooting head system or a rear outbound line, um, slow intermediate with a nine to 12 foot leader around 10 pound tip. And yeah, flies is uh, scrim patterns. There's a pattern, it's called the patekrise or the pink pig. It's quite famous fly from Denmark. It's tied with uh, spay heckles, uh, pink uh, pink spay heckles, but also yellow and, and green and gray. But two, two and a half inch flies, uh, so quite big. Uh, and also patterns like the Magnus, it's a, it's a palmered wet fly. Sometimes with, uh, most of the time it's gray. Sometimes with uh, hot orange or or bright pink heckle in front, 
Those are the, the flies, yeah. Pink and orange. So basically yeah. you're just imitating some of that food. Well, they're still even in the estuary kind of, right, just coming out. So they're they're fresh off of their feeding in the salt water. Yeah. So when you have your line, you mentioned the intermediate. So basically you're not using super heavy lines. You're just kind of getting down below the surface a little bit, just enough, and then swinging it. Yeah. Most of the time fish uh, feed in the surface or near the surface. So it's nice to have an intermediate line because of the waves on the, on the on the coastline. So you fish a little bit underneath the waves, so you have more contact with uh, with your fly. You feel everything and you feel the strikes. But basically, you fish uh, 10, 15 centimeters or six inch below the surface, and you strip quite fast with quite big flies, and then yeah, the magic happens. That's it. So the big and how big are the flies you're using? Like what size are these? Yeah, two, three inch. Oh yeah. That's basically what I use most. Uh, sometimes smaller, especially when there is not that much wind and uh, the sea trout sees everything better. Yeah. So you cast. So basically, you've got these. And are the rivers kind of coming in, or is it like tides are moving back and forth and pushing the currents? There's not that much tide there. I mean, it's it's. Five inch, ten inch tide difference, but yeah, it's fishing on the coast. You fish from from the shoreline, from the beaches, close in. I mean, a lot of people try to cast as far as possible, but um, there's so much fish just beneath, just on the shoreline. Mm, like right out, like literally, like ten feet out or whatever, like uh, four meters or something like that. Yeah, right there. And uh, so start fishing uh, with short lines and then go into the water, fish a little bit further and try to cast uh, over new water every time. So you walk a lot, it's cast a few steps, cast a few steps, cast a few steps. Okay. And are you working down, working downstream as you go? Yeah, there's no, it's not stream. It's, it's the... Oh, it's not even stream. It's just yeah. stand, it's just water, just kind of, right. I see. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's literally in the, in the ocean, uh, yeah, you're in the ocean. This is a like on a beach. The ocean is out in front of you. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, this is it. So you're, so you got waves. I mean, waves are kind of depending on the situation. Waves could be coming in at higher levels. Is there times when you get actually big waves through there coming into the beach? Yeah, uh, yeah, not much. I mean, there's not that much uh, wind. As long as you can cast, the waves are okay. As the wind's too too uh, much to cast then there will be waves and you can always find a place maybe on the other uh, end of the island where uh, the wind is blowing from in your back where you can cast is there a video i know you sent me some videos is there a video of you or something out there we could see kind of what the this looks like yeah not from me but the tourist information from Finn. they have uh, a lot of good videos and there's a good video on kanaalgratis.sa. How do you spell that one? Kanaal Gratis. It's a Swedish uh, fly fishing channel. The one with Nicholas Bauer. Maybe you heard about Oh, Bauer. Yeah, yeah, Nicholas Bauer, yep. His channel, there's also some sea trout fishing. Okay, yeah, he's the, um, what is his channel called? Kanaal Gratis. Yeah, there it is, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that one I would not have been able to get. He's the, pi the pike fly man. Amazing pike flies. Yeah, he's the pike fly guy. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, we'll put a link out to that. We'll get a link out to his stuff, and we'll, we'll take a look at some videos of um, just kind of the, some of the sea trout stuff. 
But yeah, I think we're kind of painting the picture. So you're on the beach, you're casting out not super far. Uh, and what are these fish doing? So why are they in close? Are they just coming in, feeding on their way kind of back and forth? Or how do you find fish? Is there structure? How do you know where to hit these fish? Um, they can be everywhere. But yeah, there are rocks and, and uh, stones and water plants. Sometimes you have to find deeper water, sometimes uh, shallow bays. Uh, so searching and actually finding those those structures and finding places where you think that there will be bait fish, there will be shrimps. For example, I know a place where uh, an old harbor is from 15 or 1600, uh, so hundreds of years old. But the harbor is totally underwater now. But it's one of the best places because there is some structure on the, on the, under the surface. And if you find those places... If you search on Google Maps and you search the shoreline, you will find those places. You will find the dark places. You will find the structures. And also the, the guidebook. There's a guidebook with 117 places where to catch uh, sea trout. All places have good parking places uh, and good description uh, when and where and how to fish. It's a really nice guidebook to use uh, when you are there the first time. Oh, perfect. Okay, so that's it. And what, what was that guidebook? Remind us again on that one. What's that called? It's uh, 117 Places to Fish for Sea Trout, I think. That's the, the name of the book. Yeah, perfect. Awesome, 117 Places. Good. Well, let's see. What else should we be thinking about if we're planning a trip heading out there? Um, we're going to be flying in. I guess that's the first thing, like a van, if you wanted to do this van. I mean, is that what you'd recommend? Obviously, you're doing it, but if somebody's going to come in and maybe spend a, a month traveling around there, is that pretty easy to rent a van and do that sort of thing? That's possible. But one of the nice things about Denmark is that holiday houses are extremely cheap in spring and autumn. Uh, for $200, you have a four-person luxury house for a whole week. Oh, wow. $200 for a whole week for a luxury house. Yeah, for four persons. So wow. that's actually quite good. Yeah, that's amazing. With a full kitchen and everything. Uh, nice yeah, base camp to fish in different places. So could you find that? Could you find one of those places near some of the Denmark, some of the fishing that you might be doing? Yeah, also, uh, if you go to a website from the tourist information uh, from Denmark, there you will find it because it's, yeah, there are so many of those holiday houses and they try to promote staying in those houses. Oh, wow. And are these holiday houses, this isn't like a Airbnb, this is like a government sort of setup thing or how's that work? No, it's actually private, but... I think because of the, the taxes, if you rent out your house, it's much cheaper with taxes in Denmark. I think that's the reason why they are so cheap in spring and uh, autumn, because those people want to have a cheap house, summer house for themselves, but want to rent it out in spring and, uh, and autumn. And there are so many that they are cheap. But that's a nice thing in Denmark. That is nice. So you could do that and then maybe just even get just your normal rental car. That might even be easier to do, maybe cheaper instead of getting a van. Although the van, I'm sure there's some van rentals as well there. Yeah, but staying in a van in Denmark in, in spring is quite hard because it's not allowed. Oh, right. So that's one of those places where you can't do it. So you have to go to campsites. And I think staying a whole week on a campsite with a camper van is the same price as a house. Okay, so the holiday house would be the way to go. So go there. Actually, the best option there, yeah. Okay, so good, and that's sweet. So you get a holiday house, 
um, and that's your your base location. And then from there, you can just get a rental car and drive out and hit some of these spots. And then you were kind of talking about earlier on Denmark. So if you were doing the fishing, what else would people be doing over there other than fishing, kind of the family tourist stuff? There's some pretty cool other stuff to do. Yeah, there are some nice towns, some nice cities. Hiking is a big thing there. It's quite flat, so it's there are no mountains, but hills. Cycling is a big thing there. Coastline is amazing. And for example, uh, Denmark has a famous place when you have children is Legoland. Oh, Legoland. Yeah. Oh, nice. Things like that. There's enough to do in the, in Denmark. Yeah, we'll definitely have to hit Legoland. Okay. It's, it's a really nice country to have a holiday. Oh, good. Not that busy, actually. It's not that busy. It's not as no. busy as, say, Germany. Uh, no, especially the south of Europe, uh, because of, of the better weather. Oh, so Denmark's not quite right. So your weather isn't going to be quite the weather you're going to get down wherever, like where you're at right now in France or Spain or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Greece now, and it's still, uh, uh, around 60, 70 degrees Fahrenheit here every day. And that's not in Denmark. There's snow at the moment, I think. Yeah, yeah. So Denmark is up, yeah, near near Norway. So that's the thing. So in the spring or fall, are you going to be able to get some pretty decent weather, or could it be a little a little nasty up there? Most of the time, the weather is quite good. Most of the time, I have a lot of sunny days. Temperatures uh, around fifty degrees, so not enough to stay on the beach and things like that. But for hiking and, and cycling and going to cities and fishing, it is. Uh, it, amazing weather yeah gotcha okay so that's denmark and that's up there you know obviously up north so as you take let's take us around on your tour so where have you where have you been going in your van you guys have been going now for since last year where are you at now and where have you traveled from uh i'm in greece now in a town called leonidio but it's much more for climbing than for fishing because there's no fly fishing here I actually, I look to the river now, but it's not, a, it's only the river bed. There's no water in the river. Oh, wow. So no fishing. <laughs> but I traveled uh, from the Netherlands to here last last few months. Okay. So you went through Germany, Austria, you know, somewhere through there. And Italy. Italy. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. You went through Italy. Yeah. I love Italy. Italy is amazing. Right. So you went through Italy. And yeah. then did you go to the tip of Italy and then cross like on a boat or did you go up around? You did. So yeah, you didn't go through. So Serbia, Croatia, stuff like that is maybe not quite as good of a, a trip to do. That will be our next destination. Uh, we will go back, uh, not to Italy, but Serbia, Croatia, Bosnia. Oh, wow. And what, I obviously you guys head down there now, it's wintertime, so it's warmer down there. What is Greece? Because you do hear about a lot about Greece from just you know, cost of living again, like it's not super expensive. Is that a place that would be maybe a good destination to head to if fishing wasn't your number one focus? Yeah, I think there's not that much fishing here. There's some trout in the north, but actually the Balkans and Italy, uh, it's much better for fishing than Greece. So Greece is not known for fly fishing. Yeah. So Italy and the Bolt. And where is that when you think of, so Greece is one of those places, but we want to stay on the fishing topic. So yeah, I, I love the Dolomites in, in the north of Italy. Okay, north of Italy, that's Dolomites. And that is near, what would be the, I'm just trying to see, I'm, yeah, I just kind of scan here. So this is north of um, Florence, basically. Yeah, it's a, it's the south part of the Alps. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, you're south part of the Alps, right. Mountains in the, in the center of, uh, of Europe. 
the south part in Italy, uh, in uh, the province called uh, Trentino. It's called uh, the Dolomite. Amazing, beautiful uh, sceneries there. Big mountains, a lot of streams and rivers, mountain lakes, a lot of fly fishing there. And a lot of different kinds of fly fishing, actually. Yeah. Did you find in that area, I guess right now, I mean, that's definitely the weather-wise is going to be a lot nicer during the winter. Not quite like Greece, but still pretty nice up there. Uh, there's snow at the moment. It's all winter sport there now, but from April till uh, November, it's uh, yeah, the weather is good enough for fly fishing. And the summers are warm. Temperatures around 100 degrees Fahrenheit are quite normal there in, in summer. Yeah. Okay. So that's a huge thing, obviously. You know, Denmark seems like it's a little more, I mean, all these places are new and you do your research. But if, you know, if you were looking at this, telling somebody, hey, you got Italy, you got Denmark, I guess you're not going to have brown trout, sea run brown trouts in Italy down there? No, but there's, there is brown trout, there is rainbow trout, char, brook trout, and marble trout. And uh, so a lot of different trout. And the nice thing, they are in different parts of the river. And there's grayling. God, that's cool. Grayling, but grayling is such an amazing fish. Yeah, it is, right. So so this is the challenge because as you look around, you're thinking, okay, somebody is setting up to do a maybe their first European trip, right? They want to do what we're talking about. What do you tell somebody, you know, what do you think? If somebody's saying, hey, you know, boss, I want to go do a trip out here, what would you tell them? Summer in Italy. Summer in Italy. That's the best thing you can do. Really? It's amazing fly fishing. Amazing people, amazing environments, uh, scenery, uh, amazing food. Such a nice place to be and uh, world-class fly fishing and not that expensive. And not that expensive. You could probably find a similar thing like the uh, the, the holiday houses or something similar. Yeah, but also campsites and... Uh, oh, you can do the camp. So you could do the van. You could do the Italy van thing. Van thing in Italy is, is really, uh, really okay. Yeah. Oh, perfect. And actually also staying in the wild. I mean, most of the time I stay near uh, climbing areas. Climbers are van lifers in Europe and they know where to where to stay. So Italy, yeah, it's just easier. It's it's going to be warmer the summertime. So when in the summertime, there's probably people traveling, but what would you recommend timing again? When to head over there? Uh, from June till September, October. Anything's good then? Maybe June can be challenging with some snow uh, melt, but there's always a place to fish. And actually, they have a lot of webcams, so you can check the conditions in the rivers from your computer, and you can decide where to fish. Right, right, right. Okay. And this would be like the Dolomites you mentioned. That's kind of yeah. this part of where yeah. you'd be heading the Dolomites. Yeah. Okay, good. And then, and then it'd be a trout-focused thing. You could get a... Where would you do that? So the van thing, if you wanted to do the van thing, is there a resource there you could track that down? Um, yeah, I used the Park for Night app. Oh yeah, that would have it. Yeah, and also climbing app Twenty Seven Cracks. You find the climbing areas, and there's always a camp spot near a climbing area. That's quite easy, and there's a lot of climbing there, so there are a lot of camp spots. Okay, and then where would be a good place to fly into if you're coming in? Where would be the best? Uh, everywhere in Italy is okay. Austria is also, or Switzerland. Switzerland. So you yeah. can go into Bern. Is it Bern? Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Or Zurich or Geneva. So it really doesn't matter. You can yeah. fly anywhere and then just figure out, like, yeah. we're going to Dolomites, just do or some it, traveling around Switzerland. Yeah. Actually, everything that's near the Alps is okay. And uh, distances are not that big in in Europe. 
if you compare it to uh, where, where you're used to. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So driving from Germany to Italy is probably only what not two few hours, whatever, five six hours. Yeah, Munich is four hours from uh, from the Dolomites. So you cross three countries, Germany, Austria, and and you go into Italy, but it's only four hours, four or five hours, if the traffic is not that crazy. But yeah, gotcha. This is awesome. I think Italy sounds really cool just because of the camping, because it allows you to be be able to stay in the van, do some fishing, and then. So if we take it into the Dolomites, what is that? So we're setting up for that. Is there a fly shop or a resource somebody could dig into to get more information on where to go, things like that? Uh, Fishing Trentino is a is a website. They have a lot of information. If you search for uh, fly fishing uh, Trentino or fly fishing Dolomites on the internet, you find a lot. And one of the the nicest things is that uh, one day you can go up into the mountains to a lake or to a small stream. There are really that nice blue small streams up in the mountains with uh, white gravel bottoms, and you see fish everywhere. Most small fish, but and the next day you stay on a really big river, trying to catch one of those big uh, marble trouts. There's so much to fish, and it's all close to each other. And actually, wherever you stay, you can go up and down. And the if you have a um, the fishing clubs, they have the license or they do the permits to fish, the day tickets, and uh, you can fish hundreds of kilometers uh, with those uh, day tickets, hundred kilometers of river. Mm, yeah. Okay, so you basically get your ticket, your license, essentially, and it allows you to a section of river to fish. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, and I'm looking at italyonthefly.com, which has some information, but there's yeah. probably a bunch of resources. Okay. And then it's just trout fishing, right? I mean, you get up there, you get all your species, and there's some pike, too. So we're, is, are there any pike in this area? Where would you be tracking down pike? Yeah, but I think the pike is not a summer fish. As soon as the water temperatures are high, the pike is going deep into the lakes. Uh, that will be hard. Yeah. But uh, and there's so much trout that, yeah, for me trout is the the fish to catch there. So you like trout. So if you had to compare your trout fishing in Italy versus sea run browns over in Denmark, which one? Start in spring in Denmark. Go to Italy. Yeah. And then <laughs> Get both to Denmark again. Welcome to fan life. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Hit it both up. And then, so where are you guys heading now? So you got, you've been traveling. We've, we can see your journey now. You've, you were down up north and you headed down to Greece. So when are you going to start your trek back up north? Uh, I think in March. The fishing will start in March again. I will go to Bosnia, I think, or, or Montenegro, uh, Macedonia, I will see. But uh, more the, the Balkan, the southeastern part of Europe will be my next destination but never been there fishing so today's episode is sponsored by chode outdoor legendary comfort and equipment you can trust chode insists on the finest material and craftsmanship to assure you have the highest standards of quality you'll feel in control of the elements in your chode gear every product is solidly backed with a no-nonsense warranty against defects and i have a family connection to chode over the years back in the shop uh, the old shop my dad uh, carried Choda, and he wore those proudly with confidence. And now I'm carrying on that tradition supporting Choda, and I'm very excited about the new products coming out this year and working with Choda in 2023. 
I'm pretty rough in my gear and find myself putting a lot of miles on that gear and being pretty rough on it. So it's good to know that the Chota gear is durable, is bomber, and I don't have to worry about it. And uh, even on those long trips, and you know, if you have a blowout, it's not going to be a good situation. So I'm excited to uh, keep digging into this this year. Clean, comfortable, charismatic, and ready for any situation you can throw at it. You can head over right now to Chota Outdoor at wetflyswing.com slash Chota. That's C-H-O-T-A to support this podcast in a great family company right now. Okay, now back to the show. How do you set up your plans of where you guys are you know, heading? Is it more focused on fishing? Is it focused on, I want to hit these countries, these cities? How are you guys planning? Actually, uh, uh, we try to live near mountains. That's what we try to do. So it's climbing and fishing. And most of the areas where you can climb, there's also some fishing. And most of the places where is some fishing there's also some climbing so that's a good combination and uh yeah yeah so that's right so that's why italy is great you guys actually climbed in around like the alps and all that stuff yeah yeah actually in in the north of italy arco is the place to be uh in europe for uh, sport climbing and it's also the place where a few world cup fly fishing or world championships fly fishing were oh yes the river sarka and things like that Gotcha. Yeah. And uh, Giese, small river over there. It's really good. And the Nose, to name some rivers there. And it's all all different rivers, all amazing fly fishing. Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty cool because we dig into the Team USA, well, just the European and the Team USA, the whole yeah. Yeah, comps. And it's pretty interesting because, yeah, it's super. I mean, the countries over there, the teams are great, right? I mean, over the years, I don't know, like Spain, right, is well-known. You got all these countries. Is it? Is fly fishing must still be a super tiny niche over there, or does it feel different around that part of Europe? Mm, no, you'll find some people fly fishing there. There's a lot of fly fishing. And actually, one of the funny things, the harder... Uh, it is to uh, catch your trout, the better the teams are. So Spain and France, it's crazy hard to catch fish and the, they do really well in competitions. That's right. Yeah, that makes sense. And Italy is, is, is a little bit easier. You can find that there's more uh, no-kill fishery in, in Italy, before, for example. Gotcha. Okay. And you're going around on, like you said, so you're just going to kind of work over the next year or say two do you have plans to stay in? I'm just looking around. I mean, you've probably hit a lot of the countries, but are you going to stay into that part of Europe or do you guys start exploring out into, say, other parts of the, the world in the van? Yeah, I have a dream to go to the United States with a van. Uh-huh. I hiked the Appalachian Trail. Oh, nice. So I have seen uh, all the states in, in the east. Oh, man, you guys should do it. That would be, yeah, you'd, I mean, it sounds pretty great, you know, where you're at as well. But I mean, obviously we have campers and there's all sorts of places, you know, yeah. national forests, places yeah. you can just turn off and, yeah. yeah. I hiked the Appalachian Trail with a fly rod in my, my uh, backpack. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. I fished uh, amazing fishery in Maine, caught a uh, 21-inch brook trout. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you got the brookies. The fish of a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Appalachian Mountains... Uh, I walked the whole thing and... Uh, hmm. You walked the whole Appalachian Trail? Yeah. 
in, in 2018. And that took you, how long did that take you? Six months. Oh, wow. Six months. Yeah. Jeez. Amazing. So how are you doing all this? You must be, I'm guessing you're retired or what, what's, how's that look? I keep myself poor. Yeah, there you go. So are you, are you working or are you just kind of, this is a thing you've, you don't have a lot of expenses, so you're able to do this stuff. I worked for a lot of retail companies in the past, but at the moment I'm a professional fly tire. There you go. So I tried to sell some flies. I mean, fan life is not expensive and uh, selling flies is a nice way to, uh, uh, to earn some money. Yep. And how do you sell flies? Is this something where, I mean, obviously there's flies all over going around the world back and forth. We just talked to Umqua Feather Merchants and the product designer told us about, we got in the fly, right? I mean, but on your level, how does that work? Where do you find people to buy flies? Uh, I have an Etsy store. Oh yeah. And the moment I tie a lot of Euro nymphs and I have an Instagram and yeah, quite some people find me also from the United States. Right. What's your Etsy uh, channel called? Uh, the Fly Tying Guy. It's also the Instagram. Yeah, Fly Tying Guy. Okay, we'll put a link out to that um, in the show notes as well. So you essentially, and if people call you up, you could tie up whatever, or do you focus on Euros? Yeah, I'm specialized in Euro names, dry flies, CDC flies and things like that. They're not on the Etsy store yet, but they will come soon. I love tying uh, foam flies and bike streamers. But they will be on Etsy somewhere in the next few months. Okay. And then if people, and are you shipping flies? How does that look? Are you shipping flies around the world or how do you send that? Yeah. The guy from uh, the post office here is a friend of mine. Uh, I saw him so many times the last few weeks, <laughs> shipping flies from Greece uh, all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty easy. So you basically, in your off time, tie some flies and fill an order just stop by the post office, drop them off. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, get the payment and head out. God, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I really like tying flights and also tying orders. It's such a nice thing to do. Yeah, and do you have like a station and your the van? You just kind of pull out your kit and you got it all. That must be because right. Sometimes you see people with these flight tied areas and it takes up a whole room. How do you balance? <laughs> how do you organize that? Yeah, I have uh, actually a big box with all my flight tying gear and. My vice is uh, is on the desk. I've got the table. It's uh, it's big enough to do this, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And on your van, just touching on that, you know, back to the van. So, are you plugging in most of the time, or is this like solar? How are you guys doing the power thing? Yeah, I've got uh, two solar panels and yeah, an all-in-one electric box. So it's plug and play, and. Uh, yeah, that gives us also uh, uh, the need to find places with good weather because of the sun. But that's that's okay. Right. So you got the solar. So solar keeps yeah. you going. If you have good sun, that thing will power pretty much everything you need. Yeah. So you don't have to. You don't have really a generator you ever pull out. No. Sometimes we have to drive a little bit. Oh, to charge it. Yeah, to charge it. But I think that happens twice in the last six months. So yeah. There you go. And what is that thing for gas mileage? We're trying to do the trends, you know, just roughly. I'm curious on this problem. Well, I'm guessing it's a big van, so it's probably only getting, yeah, you're getting, what, 20 miles a gallon, or I guess, what is that in the conversion? One liter for 15 kilometers. But yeah, gas is quite expensive in Europe. Yeah, kilometers. Yeah, so one liter per 15 kilometers. Yeah, but gas is expensive in, in Europe. Much more expensive than, than in, uh, in the United States. That's right. Yeah, it is more expensive, right, yeah. quite a bit more. Yeah, we pay 
$2 for a liter. That's quite normal. What's the price in, in the U.S. now? Uh, you know, it was higher for quite a while, and now it's way it's back down. You know, I mean, we got up to some places, I think it was $6, maybe higher, $7 per gallon. And now it's down to, you know, $3, three whatever, 50 per gallon. Oh, nice. It's half the price of it's here. Yeah, it's, it's gone in half. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to somebody that was telling me about that. It was, um, you know, don't have to get into the politics and stuff, but his politics were a little bit different. But he was making the argument that, um, you know, some of the stuff that was put in place by the government here was to try to, um, you know, essentially put things on the cars to require better emissions, right? So there's not as much pollution. But he was saying that, well, because of that, it actually increased or it decreased the fuel efficiency, so now cars aren't as efficient, so you're actually burning more gas, right? You're spending more on gas. So he was kind of making that argument. But but again, I think it's one of those things where we've got to get more efficient. We've got to get better, less polluting. I think you guys are kind of ahead of the game in that, right? Pollution and things like that. Yeah, and, and cars are much much smaller in Europe than uh, than in the States, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You're not driving around gigantic trucks, right? Huge pickup trucks. No, what we call a big car is a small car for you. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it is a different deal. So, okay, well, good. Well, we got, um, so I think we're hitting two places, right? We've got this, I'm kind of thinking Italy, I'm thinking Denmark, but and there's so much more. And obviously we're not going to, you know, chunk it all off today, but let's just kind of wrap this up as we go into back to Italy with the fishing. If you're getting ready for the trout fishing, assuming just a basic trout rod, what else should we be thinking about as far as, you know, gear, flies, locations, things like that? I use an Euronym rod in Italy a lot. Oh, you do? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's an amazing place for Euronym thing. But also a seven foot uh, Afma dry uh, small short rod. Seven foot three weight or something, or even smaller. Yeah, and a four and nine foot four weight. Actually, everything you can use for trout: four weight, five weight, three weight. You can find places where to use them. Some rivers are small. Uh, the river Giese, for example, is one of my favorite rivers. It's a lot of no-kill areas, a lot of, of fish. Uh, small river, it's seven, seven foot, uh, eight foot rod is perfect for dry fly fishing there, actually. And yeah, we use a lot of dry flies. Uh, caddis flies, the well-known caddis flies you also use. That's also good here. And uh, some small bait is uh, so size... 20 and 18 uh, dry betas, mayflies, that's so dry olives. It's also great. Yeah. So dry flies are good. So have both setups. Yeah. And also in summer hopper fishing, uh, for example, it's also possible. There are not many places in Europe where you can do that, but in, in those uh, rivers in Italy, it can be really good. Okay. And to fill the box, if you're getting your box prepared for Italy, Switzerland, you know, for fishing that, what would be the, you know, we talked about a couple of resources online. Where would you go if you wanted to say, okay, this is what I need to get on my box as far as dry flies? Uh, dry flies, I mostly the famous caddis patterns are okay in size 16, 14, 12 in, in brown and gray and yellow. Nothing uh, different from what you use in, in the States. For mayflies, because they can be quite selective. Uh, small olives, our European blue-winged olive, uh, that's more uh, pale yellow. Fly, uh, also the spinners, the orange spinners and, and uh, rusty brown spinners. 
in sizes from size 18 till 14. Now that's actually what I use most. Yep, perfect. And I just look in Google and I got uh, the global fly fisher, Martin Jorgensen. I'm not sure. Yeah, so he's been on and he's got some good resources out there on his site, doesn't he? There's a lot of information on that site. It's an amazing thing he created. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll put a link to that episode. We had him back. Who are some other people out there? You know, Martin's, you know, a big name around in that part of the world. Who are other people that you kind of look to as, you know, people that have helped you, mentors or whatever, maybe just people online? John Roberts is, is a nice guy. He just wrote a book about, or his third book, second or third book about grayling fishing in Europe. Oh, nice. Um, his flights are, are amazing. His, his books are amazing. Uh, I like what he is doing. Uh, I know Hans van Klinke. He's a, yeah. That's the Klinkhammer? Yeah, that's the, the guy from the Klinkhammer. And uh, so I learned a lot from him. Yeah, Klaus Eriksson for the sea trout fishing in Denmark. And uh, there's a guy in Italy. Uh, Matteo uh, Lavazzini is his name. He has a small fly shop in the north of Italy and a YouTube channel. Good information. You can always call him or send him an email. Uh, he's also a guide. He's an amazing guide. Oh, good. Can you remind us again of his name, Matteo? Matteo Lavazzini. Okay. That's going to be a hard one uh, <laughs> to... Uh... Yeah, I will, send, I will send you the link. <laughs> yeah, send me a link. And the YouTube channel is just probably under his name. Yeah. Lavazzini Fly is the is the YouTube channel, uh, I think, and uh, some good videos about the fishing the, in in the north of Italy. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So that's a great resource. So that gives us a little bit of some knowledge there. Well, I think you know I'm I just we obviously touched here on some of this day. Anything we want to kind of shed a little more light on as far as that part of the country fishing of some. I mean, it's pretty easy to get overwhelmed, right? Because there's so much. Um, but we didn't dig in deep into pike. Maybe we could leave that for another one. Um, grayling. What other species are out there that you really love other than the browns? Uh, I love grayling fishing. There's a lot of grayling in, in, in Europe. In the Netherlands, where I'm from, there's uh, only one small trout stream, totally private in the south of the Netherlands. So we had to fish for other fish. And the pike fishing in the Netherlands is quite good. Actually, big pike. And because the Netherlands is, is uh, 50% of the Netherlands is below sea level. And we have a lot of kennels. We take the water out from the kennels with the windmills. That's actually the story about the Netherlands. Now, what do you do? There are a lot of kennels in the Netherlands. Oh, oh the, yeah, the, yeah, canal, the canals and all throughout. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there are a lot of windmills. And in the past, those windmills were used to get the water from the land uh, into the sea. That's... Uh, why the Netherlands is for 50% below sea level. Oh, right. Because if you didn't do that, it would be all flooded. There'd be no land, dry land. Yeah, I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And because all that water, there's a lot of pike fishing. Oh, so pikes are coming into these canals all over the place. Yeah. Oh, wow. And also big lakes and actually, so there, there's a lot of nice pike fishing in the Netherlands. Yeah. What is the Netherlands? I mean, it's obviously known. I mean, Amsterdam is, you know, maybe the most well-known, you know, of, of anywhere around. But what is so cool about the Netherlands? What makes that such a cool place to go to? Uh, actually, I don't know. <laughs> really? No, I love the Netherlands. <laughs> yeah. So it's too, it's not your, you're not getting as much of the natural beauty as you, you would in, say, Denmark. 
No, it's it's a really busy uh, country. There are 17 million people in a, in a small country. Yeah, gotcha. So maybe Amsterdam isn't the best place if you're thinking of outdoors to fly into. Maybe fly into uh, to Copenhagen or, or maybe down in Italy. Yeah, it depends because flying to Amsterdam is quite cheap. That's one of the nice things. And you can fly from Amsterdam to uh, almost every country in Europe. But uh, when I go to the United States, I never pay more than uh, $500 for a return ticket. No kidding. Yeah, if you if you search on the internet. And that's because all the planes are going to Amsterdam. So it is possible to find some quite cheap tickets to go to Europe. And yeah, also it's, it's quite safe to uh, rent a car in the Netherlands. Oh, it is. Could you rent a car in the Netherlands and just go... I mean, rent it there and just travel all around Denmark, the whole all around Europe. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, that's that'd be the thing to do. Yeah. So, so probably use Amsterdam as your just to save some money as your your um, main hub. Come in there, get your car, hop in, and then just travel out. And then, yeah, just like you said, then follow your journey. We could follow your trail, right, where you've gone. Yeah, and in in eight hours you are in Denmark. In uh, in twelve hours you are in the north of Italy, and uh, you can go actually wherever you want. There are ferries uh, to uh, the United Kingdom, to England and Scotland and things like that from the Netherlands. Uh, oh, I see. It's actually quite a central uh, airport. Uh, the name is Schiphol, uh, Amsterdam Airport. In Amsterdam? Yeah. Okay, this is good. No, I think that obviously there's going to be a lot of exploratory stuff and research that anybody could do. But essentially, like what you've talked about today here is... Sounds like a pretty doable trip. Like really, you know what I mean? Like there's lots of places you could travel around the world that probably are more work than getting here. You know what I mean? Like there's places in South America, you know, all sorts of places. But this feels for you and you've flown it that it's pretty it's pretty doable. Yeah, and I think that, uh, I mean, European culture is nice to see, I think, for you. And also all those different countries. And yeah, and name all the reasons why so many people come to Europe. It's a uh, really civilized. Uh, uh, yep. And the history, you know, I mean, it's civilized, but it has the cool history. There's a lot of history. Yeah. 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 All the old buildings and the castles, you go to the plate and all this stuff. Yeah. I've been to the Acropolis in uh, Athens last week. So it's uh, more than 2000 years old. Right. Uh, things like that. Right. Gosh, it must be. What is it in the summertime? So obviously it's going to be busier in the summertime, but is it still, if you were to fly into Amsterdam in, you know, July and then start traveling around. You're still, it's not like you're going to be busy everywhere. It'll still feel pretty good. You'll be able to get away from some people. Yeah. In the Netherlands and especially in Amsterdam, it can, can be hard. Amsterdam is extremely busy. Yes, busy. But get up to Denmark, July in Denmark. You can find some places that are good. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the west of the Netherlands is one big city. And as soon as you, uh, you're you out of the of Amsterdam, you can drive in, uh, in seven, eight hours to Denmark, for example, or into France or whatever. Yeah, perfect. It's right there. I mean, you're, yeah, you got France's, France, Germany, Denmark. And then as you go east, where is the place where you go and you just kind of um, Europe more gets into Eastern? What's that break? Because you start to get eventually into Ukraine, right? A whole different probably politics and stuff. Where is that transition where you probably, you know what I mean? Where does that happen? Yeah, Germany is in the center and everything east from Germany is Eastern Europe. And southeast, there are a lot of small countries. In the east, you have uh, Poland, for example. Um, there's also some good fishing, but I've, I've never been there. 
but no, haven't been. And then you get into further, and then you're into kind of the Belarus, and then Ukraine, and then literally, then you're into Russia, which is a whole yeah, obviously a different different deal. Not the best yeah <laughs> place to be at the moment, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, Russia. There's it's interesting because you're literally at Russia is right there. That just shows you how big this thing is because. You're at Russia, and we were talking about, you know, maybe doing, you know, we had a guest that talked about Russia on the um, wheel. We were on the whole other side of Russia, right, where we were talking about going into fish for some of those steelhead, the Kamchatka stuff. Yeah, that's far from here. That shows you how big, that literally shows you how crazy big Russia is, because it's go, it goes from literally where you are all the way across the globe to Kamchatka, which isn't far from where I am, and we're on the other side of the planet. Actually, only a few miles uh, from Alaska. Yeah. That's... Literally a few miles. Yeah. Is that a spot? So here's one. So, I mean, you want to get back to, you want to get back to the U.S. and maybe do the van life. But when you look around the world, other than that, you know, when you think fishing, you know, what would be a place or two you want to hit? Uh, Patagonia, but also Montana and and, uh, Yellowstone and all the states over there. I fished uh, a lot in Alberta Mm. and, and B.C., Near Fernie and and uh, and Calgary, that's I really like love fishing there. It's it's an amazing uh, place to fish. Yeah, but there's New Zealand. That's maybe bucket list thing number one. But that's right. Yeah, we we had that episode. We talked recently about that. Where did you? So I think you've been listening to the podcast. Where did you first? Uh, have you listened to this podcast before? I couldn't remember. Yeah, yeah. I I think I listened almost all your podcasts. Oh, really? Oh, there you go. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So where did you, do you remember where you first tracked us down? I think the sea trout with, uh, or I don't know, actually. That's good. No, I mean, that is amazing. That's the cool thing is that, so when you listen to the stuff we have, because we have a lot of U.S. focused stuff, I mean, we've sprinkled in some, some things in Europe, but it hasn't been a lot. So you, you kind of like listening to some of the stuff that you know, we've been doing. I mean, how does that play out in Europe? So you listen, you're over there, but is it helpful for kind of some of the stuff you're doing there? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And it's funny, I listen a lot, for example, uh, to the podcast about Euronymphing, because Euronymphing is quite new for you. And also, I think it's a really big thing in, in the United States at the moment. It is. We're literally putting together a Euronymphing school over here now. Yeah, nice. That's amazing. Yeah. And uh, actually, they're doing that in the, in Europe, too. There's a small brand of good fly rods, Adam Rods. They have a, a school. I read something about that. But, and it's it's more a competition thing in Europe. And uh, more and more people are, are using uh, Euronymph techniques at the moment or start doing it. But yeah, it's a nice way to catch uh, some fish. Yeah, it's effective. It's definitely effective. And I think also for us, it's quite new. Oh, it is. So, yeah, it's, it's a little bit, uh, there were techniques in the past that were the same. I mean, it's, it all started with uh, uh, Czech and Polish competition anglers, and then the French. But actually, Frank Sawyer, that's the, one of the, the most amazing fishermen from the past, uh, in 1950 or something. He was a river keeper uh, on the Avon in the south of England, and he used actually a uh, Euronymph technique to catch the grayling because there were too much grayling oh, in wow. those rivers. And he had to remove the grayling to 
give space for brown trout. <laughs> and he removed them by using actually uh, urine nymph techniques with uh, Sawyer nymphs and, uh, and killer bugs. And it's actually the same. That's right. So Sawyer was the guy, he created the pheasant tail, right? Yeah, yeah. And one of the other uh, flies is the killer bug. And that's a really good... Actually, when you tie a killer bug and you put a tungsten bead on it, you have a really good uh, fly. And actually, it's, it looks like the wall worm. Oh, yeah. Something like that. So it's... But it's really good flies. But he, he used the same techniques to remove all the grayling from his river. So it's it's also quite old, but yeah. Well, I think uh, I think we'll leave it there and maybe take it out of here. Uh, the the two minute drill is the little exercise I've been doing to try to force us to get out of here on schedule. So uh, do you have a couple minutes here? We'll do a quick little uh, rapid fire. Of course. Yeah. Good. So let's uh, let's set the timer and see if we can make it. We to this date, I don't think we've made it on the two minute yet, but we're we're still working on it. So let's. Uh, so you got one rod. What is your weight? Uh, length and weight. I think a six weight, kind foot. Uh, so you can do some streamer fishing where that's possible in rivers and uh, fishing the Baltic Sea, uh, sea trout, things like that. Yeah, some small pike fishing you can do it. You can actually do a lot with a six weight. Uh, okay, and uh, and you're in Italy fishing there. Uh, what is your one fly that you're gonna have? I think a small olive bait is mayfly, dry fly. Yep, betas. Okay. What would be a tip? What would be one tip you would have for somebody who's fishing there in Italy? Uh, maybe they're they're not hitting fish. What do you tell them if they're you know not having success? In Italy, oh, uh, go to a good place to eat in Italy. Oh yeah, <laughs> take a break. Yeah, take a break, and uh, that's good advice. Yeah, and you you can always uh, um, ask some guides there for for help. That's also possible. Yeah, so people are guiding there. There are guides, yeah. Trentino, uh, the tourist information, they have guides and you can find them on the internet. And always, yeah, always worth for a day fishing with them and ask them to bring you to some water and, yeah. That's right. We'll do that. We'll definitely hit that up. And um, and so I think you mentioned your trip. So maybe, so New Zealand, if you had one trip to choose that you can go anywhere, money isn't a, an issue, just is Italy or is um, is that the trip? Yeah, I think hiking uh, the Te Aurora, that's the long distance trail in New Zealand and then with a, a rod in my backpack and fishing and hiking, fishing, hiking, fishing, hiking. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Fishing, hiking. That's it. That's the perfect thing. And you, and you've got the climbing. That's what's cool about what you have going is that you, I mean, it mixes perfectly the hiking, the climbing, the fishing, you know, you can get all your stuff in your backpack and just go hike into the, yeah. on the trail, right. For months or weeks. Yeah. And it's all in the mountains. That's amazing. Perfect. All right, uh, boss, I guess this is, uh, we'll send everybody out to uh, the fly tying guy. That's the underscore fly underscore tying underscore guy on Instagram. If they want to connect with you, we'll put links to all this in the show notes. But um, just want to thank you for uh, putting this together today. Thank you. And uh, giving us our first, yeah, light of, um, yeah, Western Europe. This has been amazing. So we'll hopefully keep in touch and send some people your way if they have questions. And uh, we'll keep in touch with you. Talk to you soon. Of course. Thank you very much. It was amazing to speak with you. Great honor to be in your show. Thank you. There it is. Wetflyswing.com slash 443. 443. Check it out right there. You can check out some of the photos, videos, and things that uh, Bus talked about today and dig in a little bit deeper. Quick heads up. The schooloffishing.co, schooloffishing.co right now. Check it out. 
and you can find out uh, which trips we have coming up next. This is the easiest way to do that. Quick listener shout out before we get out of here today, Joseph Burns. Joseph Burns checked in by email and uh, and he checked in and said, Dave, a uh, huge fan of the podcast and the content you are creating. Your podcasts have significantly helped me learn and grow as a fly fisher, especially when I have long commutes for work and I am limited to listening to podcasts and audiobooks. Thank you for the time and dedication in the fly fishing world. Amazing. Uh, Joseph, that is super amazing. And actually, I think you go by Joe. Joe Byrne, shout out to Joe. Appreciate you for checking in and letting me know. If you want to get a shout out on this podcast episode and find out, uh, and maybe find out if we can put together a episode for you, you can check in with me, Dave, at wetflyswing.com anytime and let me know and I will give you a shout out. We'd love to hear from you if you are new or it's been a while since you checked in. Tomorrow, stay tuned tomorrow, Steve Potter is here and this is a good one. He digs into fly tying and selecting hooks and Steve's just a great entertaining guy. He's got a bunch of great stories from his military life and uh, just all around. We dig into uh, Daiichi tomorrow. Uh, It's a good one, so stay tuned. Click that play button. Just let this one roll out at the end and if it's uh, in the future, you're going to hear me jump right back into it with Steve Potter, the magic of podcasting and podcasts. That's all I got for you. I'm going to keep this one short and sweet and get out of here and just wish you uh, wish you a happy afternoon. Or if it's evening, uh, I hope you have a great evening and morning. If it's morning, wherever you are in the world, uh, whether you're in Europe, in the United States, in Canada, uh, maybe you are in one of those other countries that we know of and we know of and love but haven't heard from you. If you are in a country other than the U.S., Canada, or one of the European countries, I would love to hear from you right now. Send me an email, really simple, dave at wetflyswing.com. Give it a shot. That's it. Dave at wetflyswing.com. Let's do it. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.